It's an 87th Precinct podcast bonus episode. This is the bonus episode for book 39 from 1987, which is Poison, a story of some terrifying flashbacks and teeth. (laughs) I think that sums it up nicely. It's the bonus episode, so we've got our main job to do, which is to look at the book covers of our own editions and the original editions. But before we get to that, I wanted to take this opportunity to mention something. There's a phrase... Here's to Golden Days and Purple Nights that crops up in quite a few uh, McBain books, but especially this one, mm-hmm. as the main character of Marilyn Hollis says it quite a lot and claims it's some sort of toast that comes from the old country, mm-hmm. as in the UK. Now, outside of these books, have either of you two ever heard of that phrase? I, I don't believe so, no. I don't know. I, I get the feeling that I perhaps have, but like in a film or something. I've certainly never heard anybody ever say it, you know. Yeah. I think if anybody said it, like down the pub or something, you'd be like, what, what yeah. does that mean? Absolutely. But, but yeah, it's claimed that it's actually a, an old Liverpool phrase. Mm-hmm. It's claimed in the books that it comes from Liverpool. And we all live in Liverpool. And yes, we're not natives, but we've been here a long time. Yeah. We've been in enough pubs with enough old men to, to come across plenty of weird phrases. But I've never heard anyone say, here's to golden days oh. and purple nights. But yeah, when Evan Hunter was interviewed on the publicity tour for Money, 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 he said that it was a toasted picked up in, in Liverpool. So he'd been to Liverpool at some point and someone's given it done this toast. I'd love to know where Evan Hunter was in Liverpool. Oh, yeah. It's the thought of him popping down the Willow Bank for a pint. <laughs> so did, did he find any sources then for this? Or? Well, I, I found a few references first. So I had a look through my various archives or databases where I can go back in, in different things. I found a reference to a thing called Brilliant Days and Purple Nights in a review of a film from 1922. Wow. Which, which was a description of a film set in India. I found a reference in the Manchester Courier from 1913 to Laborious Days and Purple Nights, which is obviously a play on the phrase. Mm. There's a documentary series about the LA Lakers, which was called (laughs) Golden Days, Purple Nights, but with nights spelt with a K. I see. So clearly this phrase does exist Mm. somewhere. And... Then I put out a call on Twitter and a chap called Simon Coward got in touch and pointed me to a couple of even earlier references. And I think the Liverpool thing could be could well be true. Liverpool's got a huge Irish heritage. Hmm. And these two references are from Ireland. So there was a story by an author called Alice Mullen called Sheila. That was the name of the story. And in chapter six of it, published in... Irish Society on the 16th of July, 1872. This is going back a bit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. As time went on... I'm not doing an accent, by the way. (laughs) As time went on, it became absolutely... No. no. (laughs) As time went on, it became absolutely bearable. As the summer grew in glory and splendour, with its golden days and purple nights, its wealth of flowers and waste of sweet scents as the summer waned. So anyway, it's in there as a description of summer being golden days and purple nights. And there was another reference in a thing called The Midnight Tryst by an author called Hugh A. McCartan, which was published in The Weekly Freeman on the 27th of January, 1923. So about this is about living in Drumcullen. It mm-hmm. says, 
lucky, yes, aren't you, to be living in so beautiful a place? Mountains, rivers, hills, lakes, peace, beauty, quietness, golden days, long purple nights. Why, you've everything here. So it looks to me like it's an old Irish expression that's presumably come over to Liverpool and has by now died out, I think. Yeah, possibly, yeah. Pretty much, until we revive it. So that's that's the toast you've got to offer if you're ever toasting Ed McBain or Ed McBain-related things. You have to say, here's to golden days and purple nights. Good to know. Yes. So thanks very much to Simon Coward on Twitter for pointing me towards those sources. That was helpful. I think that more or less confirms it as much as we're ever going to confirm it until we find some really old scouser <laughs> who can say. Yeah. 200-year-old right. scouser. I'm sure there's one somewhere in the corner of, of the Wellington or something pickled in a corner. <laughs> anyway, let's get to the book covers. I have sent you on your devices. Ah, I've left my device plugged in across the room. I will go and grab it now. I'm a dog. Oh, dear me. Dear me. <laughs> right, right, have you got it? God, there's some bad ones here, aren't there? Uh, um, yeah, when I tell you that my hardback edition of this i actually took the um the dust jacket off so that i could read it and work without being embarrassed you won't be surprised with you saying that morgan i'm going to guess that the the hardback that you had was the american edition the <laughs> yeah. u.s hard, u.s hardback so would you like to tell us what's on the wraparound of the u.s hardback edition i mean it's got it's got some some lovely uh lettering in in red and white but uh the main image is just a, a blonde lady presumably representing Marilyn Horace, Hollis, I should say, in a yep. gown with the uh, bare shoulders, reclining seductively, well, not reclining, but leaning seductively on what looks like some kind of leather or satin, possibly black satin kind of couch. Couch or bonquette. And yeah, it looks like some kind of tacky romance novel or something. It, it doesn't really look like it's going to be a, a mystery novel. I didn't really want to be sitting in the break room at work with, with <laughs> that, to be honest. Yeah, it looks really naff, that, doesn't it's it? It's very naff. It's a dreadful, dreadful cover for a book. <laughs> I mean, and even the model, I mean, you say seductively, she does look a bit bored, to be honest. Bored, yeah. I, I, I assume seductive is the uh, the intention, but yeah, she, she just looks like she's yeah on the cusp of dozing off. <laughs> it's all that uh, potchy smoking in the story you see she's be sleepy. It, yeah. so we move on to the u.s paperback edition steve how do you want to describe that the next one down uh yes that's a uh, well she's got black white and red so just a black background with uh poison in red and then a kind of a gray pencil colored almost rose with a skull and crossbones and then some blood dripping out the bottom of this rose. Yeah. So, so that seems largely without any context whatsoever. <laughs> what's, yes. what's that all about? <laughs> well, I mean, the skull and crossbones is the universal symbol for poison, well, I know isn't that, it? But, but yeah, it's a bit looks a bit hastily photoshopped that, that together. Lo- that, <laughs> looks, that looks naff as well. Two naff ones. There's plenty okay. going on in this book that you could get some decent covers, Definitely. I would say. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's better than the first one we just talked about. Only just, I'll, though. I'll describe the next one because this is the one I've got, which is the UK hardback edition, which yeah, is... Yeah, I've got that as well. Ah, right. Okay. Again, a black background, Ed McBain in stark white blocky letters at the top, and the word poison as if it's been painted by 
the the hand of a dead artist because the main image on this cover is a paint palette a spilt glass of scotch and some brushes so that at least references something specific in the book it perhaps makes you think there's going to be more about art in it than there is but Hmm. you know it's all right i suppose it's in there isn't it it actually does does relate to the to to the book which is is good and I'd like Steve-O to describe the UK paperback edition, which I believe is the very definition of not trying. <laughs> yeah, it's just a, a, what is clearly a poison bottle knocked over with some poison coming out onto the words poison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a gold band McBain, and it, it's got the words, a deadly case for the 87th precinct deadly. underneath. And then just a bit of a bottle with some poison in. And I think it's the last ever gold band McBain out of those ones. I don't think I've ever seen that in the gold band anywhere. No, I think it's very, very rare. I think these next couple of pan ones, of which there's not many left to come now, are very hard to come by. And this is definitely the last one that came in gold band. And I I think there might even be a a more modern, a different design for for this. How how, how come did... And just not release many of them, or well, from this point on, there I think their contract comes up in about two or three books' time. But I mean, why wouldn't there be that many kicking around compared to the others? I well, I don't know. I, I just assume that they changed the design around this point, and perhaps they just got rid of this first printing with this gold band, so there wasn't that many of them. Maybe. All yeah, right, fair dues. So I'll I'll share these pictures, but yeah, it's it's an interesting time for cover design and. Mm-hmm. That'll be interesting. Should, should, should we have a huff then? Because that's uh... go on then. Yeah, oh, oh, yep, smells all right. That <laughs> it's all that noise and it's like, smells all right. I'll, I'll huff, I'll huff mine soon as it's the comparable. I, I did that for dramatic effect, to be honest. It was very good. It was very good. Oh, oh I like mine. I think, yeah, I, again, I think this is it's satisfactory, satisfactory for me. I that's how I like my books to smell, although I do notice there is a bit of like colouring at the edges of the pages so i might who knows what i'm breathing in <laughs> and uh, morgan do you want to okay. let's see how this well-traveled uh arbor house copy smells let's, let's give it a go mm. <laughs> yeah it's just sort of it's not unpleasant but there's a, a slight just edge of um acrid mustiness creeping in there acrid mustiness lovely. oh very good very good. Okay, then. Well, let's move on to some content. Well, I say contextual stuff. Our usual delve into the world of media of the period. Now, I've got 1986 on the brain here. Even though the book comes out in 1987, as I said in the main podcast, we've got a lot of 1986 to get through. But one really good thing about 1986 is it's the first year of inductees into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. All right. Okay. So I want you two guys to guess. I've got basically three, six, nine, ten inductees into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Right. First people in 1986. Oof. Who are they? I don't know why, but I'm going to say Buddy Holly. Buddy Holly is one of them. One for one. Go on, Morgan. Uh, the Beatles? Would that be too obvious to put in, in the first one? <laughs> it would be, yes. You've bombed out on that one. There we go. Uh, Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley, yes. Oh, too nearly a Morgan. Uh, yeah, I'm not doing well here. Um, uh, Chuck Berry? Chuck Berry, yes. Okay. We're back. <laughs> back. So 
Who else might have been really early? The Beach Boys? No, probably no, not. No, that's your that's your guess gone, Morgan. Um, Little Richard? Little Richard, yes. Did they, like... God knows. Uh, <laughs> something like Frank Sinatra? Did they do crooners like him? I don't think so. Is this a rock yeah. and roll hall of fame? It is. So, specifically yeah. about like Bill Haley, somebody like that? No, not in the first year. Hmm. Go on, Morgan, you can have another guess and then I'll put you out of your misery soon well, if you can. Um, let's see. Bo Diddley? No. No, no. Right, quick free for all. Any quick guesses? Uh, the Rolling Stones? So, no, not the Rolling Stones. BB King? No. Oh, you're doing dreadfully, you two. Oh, dear, shocking. Well, it's bloody easy when you're looking at the answers, isn't it? <laughs> but when you've got the f- when you've got Elvis, Little Richard and Buddy Holly... If the frigging Beatles aren't good enough to get in, what... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> right well look you've got chuck berry you've got buddy holly you've got little yeah. richard you've got elvis presley you got those ones that's fine they're yeah. safe okay you've also got jerry lee lewis oh yes i should have gone for him instead of bill haley shouldn't i yeah although i think bill haley was a good it's call a i mean perfectly legit um suggestion i think yeah you've also got the everly brothers oh, all right, right yeah okay you've got fats domino yeah. of course yeah sam cook Mm-hmm. Ray Charles, yeah, and James Brown. Fair yeah, dues. Right. But almost more interesting than that is who actually inducted them, because you have someone who comes up and inducts you into it, mm. which is interesting depending on whether you're living or dead. I don't know if that makes a difference. So I'll, I'll run these down. It's just quite interesting. So Chuck Berry's inducted by Keith Richards. Yeah. James Brown's inducted by Steve Winwood. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Ray Charles is is inducted by Quincy Jones. Fair enough. Sam Cooke is inducted by Herb Alpert. Can you think of a link between the two of them? I don't know. Did, did Sam Cooke work with Herb Alpert of the Tijuana Brass? Is, was Herb Alpert A&M Records? Is there some link there, possibly? Oh, it may well be, may well be. I think he's probably more in a kind of like record label context rather than a, a musician context. There's more likely to be a connection, but I don't know. That sounds plausible. Fats Domino is inducted by Billy Joel. Oh, yeah. yeah. The Everly Brothers are inducted by Neil Young. Really? Oh, right, yeah. Buddy Holly gets in via John Fogerty. Great stuff. Two brilliant rock and roll voices there, but very different, Buddy Holly and John yeah. Fogerty. Jerry Lee Lewis is inducted by Hank Williams Jr. Fair enough, yeah. I can see that. Two hell raisers. Little Richard comes in from Roberta Flack. Wow. And Elvis Presley is inducted by Julian and Sean Lennon. Mm. It's, it seems like an odd one, really. Does, so, really. So John's two kids, two different mothers, uh, together as pals to induct Elvis. And obviously Elvis meant a massive deal to Lennon and the Beatles and things like that. But it seems odd that they couldn't have got like a bigger 60s name to come in and do it, maybe. Yeah, but. that's peculiar. Maybe it's just because it was the first one and they didn't know what sort of thing it was going to be, got who they could get. and I guess so, yeah. Well, I don't know. The rest are all fairly big, big names aren't oh, they, yes. at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly, certainly Billy I Joel thought, th- in 986 and things. I think they would have thought the Lennon connection there was very poignant, I suspect. Yeah, well, quite possibly. But anyway, there you go. That's the first lot into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1986. Cool. Excellent. And we're not doing the second lot next time, are we? No, no, no. 
It's just because it was a, a unique moment in, in music. And yeah, I've used that to replace the chart from when the book came out, oh, which right. is, <laughs> which is funnily enough, just very, very briefly when, when Poison came out, number one in, in America was Stand By Me by Benny King, followed by When a Man Loves a Woman. It's like, that's 1987. Contemporary hits. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, advert, I guess. But anyway, that's our music. But I really wanted to get onto television and film, you see, because I've got some great UK debuts on TV. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was just going to imagine. Sounds like a crazed laugh there. <laughs> it's because the first, the first one is, is Wizbit. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> Please describe Wizbit for everyone, Steve-O. Wizbit was, well, he, he was a, a, well, I could say so, an expletive there, <laughs> but uh, he was a cone <laughs> who followed Paul Daniels, who was a TV magician around. Not really sure there's much more to him than that, really. They were mates, was- they were mates with a purple bog. Um, that was outside this castle where they lived. So, I don't know. Paul Paul Daniels was a fairly... I don't know whether he was straight-laced. I I don't know. He's got a bit of a reputation for being a bit of a grump, maybe. But he he couldn't have been if he did stuff like this. He must have been just crackers, mustn't he? Well, I mean, people listening to you do that description, you would probably want to get you sectioned because it sounds like you've gone completely bonkers. But the point is, yeah, Wizbit was a giant yellow cone. Was he supposed to be a magic hat? That was what I always thought. I don't know. He had arms and legs and he had a moon on him. I'm just looking at him now. He had a very weird expression on his face as well. But yeah, but he lived in a in a magical place, and it's the show. It was a kids' show all about magic, basically. Yes, and he was friends with Squidgy Bog, and there was all manner of other weird things, and it was bonkers. He had a little song as well. That went ha ha this away ha ha, ha, ha that, that away. away ha ha, ha this, this away. away my oh we my bit, had a little <laughs> bit little bit there you he go. started too low for me there and he had a magic word which was ostagazuzalum <laughs> was Julian Catley involved in his creation <laughs> that's a very in joke sorry everyone uh, <laughs> but yeah Wizbit very strange thing I'd like to move on to everyone's favourite. Sexy antique dealer, Lovejoy. Oof. Oh, all right. Okay, yeah. So that's a fairly mad program as well. That's like fairly straight down the line, but then the main character breaks the fourth wall, third wall. What wall fourth does he break? Wall, yeah. fourth, fourth wall. wall. He breaks that wall a lot, doesn't he? And obviously the weird thing is that Lovejoy himself now is world-renowned as a tough guy actor. It's funny that lots of US TV viewers will never think of him as a sexy antique dealer. As an East Anglian yeah. antiques dealer. <laughs> yeah, that's Ian McShane for anyone who's not sure who we're talking about. I often catch the end of it when I record, I record something that's after it. Um, and there was always like really good freeze frames as they go through the credits. It's a lot of fun, isn't it? We also have a programme called Boone. Oh, God. <laughs> What a year this is. What a, what a year. Again, I don't think I ever watched an episode of Boone growing no. up. But, and yet you had that response. Well, I've, seen a, I've, I've seen a few of them. Michael Elphick, was it? Yeah, yeah. Ken Boone, he was called. I just remember someone uh, on a bike 
at some point. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> and Beatles About. Oh, oh God. You, you better watch out because Beatles About is great, that. That was a, a hidden camera show where a, a a bearded man would play tricks on members of the general public by pretending to crush their car with a tank <laughs> or something like that. It often involved cars getting tipped off keys, didn't it? <laughs> yes, and like it small ports. Uh, but it wouldn't be the actual car, it'd be a, like a replacement. And 25 million people would tune in to watch this on a Saturday night, Saturday tea time. To be fair, it was quite entertaining when you were... Barely move in 1986 without your car being chucked off a key and then some kind of sniggering bearded policeman coming up to you. Yeah. Yes, because <laughs> he'd always turn up disguised, usually as a policeman. Uh, it's, just, it's just... I can't believe we watched it. It's mad. <laughs> but let's get over to America, to some US debuts in, in, in 1986. And we get the debut of two WWF shows... <sighs> We, we get superstars of wrestling and a show called Wrestling Challenge. Tremendous. I presume I like the Raw and Smackdown of their day. I'm not sure. Mm. We also get, as a TV programme, Ghostbusters. But not the real Ghostbusters like you think. So have you heard about this filmation animated series called oh. Ghostbusters? Is the, 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 There's another series unrelated called Ghostbusters. Is that right? Yeah. Is the, did it exist before the... F- I'm trying to think, or was it copyrighted before the film Ghostbusters? Someone was telling me about this once, and I can't remember what the what the deal was with it. Please explain. Well, the, the, there was a live-action TV show in the 70s called Ghostbusters, which had two Ghostbusters, and their one of their other team member was a giant ape, a man in an ape suit, essentially. <laughs> then the film Ghostbusters comes along in 1984, and they have all this hoo-ha over the, the name, because this company owns it hmm. and for ages ghostbusters might not have been called ghostbusters then eventually it gets to the fact that they just they discover that there's going to be a ghostbusters cartoon spun off from the film and the people who own the name go hang on, hang on. no we're making a cartoon and we're calling it ghostbusters hmm. and so they make this thing and it's filmation the people who made he-man <laughs> and it's based on the 1975 show oh, God. and that's why in the same year out comes the real Ghostbusters. <laughs> so that's why that's called the real Ghostbusters, which is like just a, a quirk of copyright law or trademark law. I, I always wondered about that because I was, I was uh, as a kid, I was thinking, so they're saying that Egon Spengler really has some weird blonde hair instead of the hair colour he actually has. Is that why it's the real Ghostbusters? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a strange one. I remember seeing in Woolworths as a kid a video f- of the cartoon Ghostbusters and going, oh, Ghostbusters, because I loved the real Ghostbusters. And seeing it and going, oh, Ghostbusters, and it being this weird filmation <laughs> series, it's like, oh, I wonder how many kids got conned. or oh, kids' nans bought them that accidentally. <laughs> anyway, as far as American programmes go, of course, in 1986 you get ALF. <laughs> Alien life form. Wise-cracking, cat-eating, alien life-form, Alf. Yeah, it counts. Yeah, he ate cats. Oh, damn. Or he endeavoured to at all opportunities. Oh. <laughs> and uh, LA Law, I suppose that's quite important as well. That starts in 1986. But let's, again, for our Australian friends, a couple of Australian debuts before we move on to oh, some films. Oh, what's this going to be? The Flying Doctors. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> See... That- that was both good and bad, wasn't it? 
It's like well, quite boring, but <laughs> quite good as well. I don't know. Funny one. It's like, I like medicine, but there's not enough light aircraft involved. Yeah, there's too many people. <laughs> yeah. But that, yeah, that was quite a big show over here for a while, wasn't it? It was, mm-hmm. yeah. But I, I'm about to read something out, and this is genuinely the title of a TV show, a kids' show in Australia. Right, prepare yourself. Oh. Mm. Professor Poop Snaggle's Steam Zeppelin. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> I'm not saying it again. All I'll say is if any of our Australian friends want to tell us that they've seen that programme or what it's about, I've never... Yeah. <laughs> Who came up with that name? What is it about? Uh, it's about a steam zeppelin, obviously. Well, that sounds quite aggressive and dangerous. Not when you add the word poop to it. Well, it becomes even no. more dangerous. Different sort of threat. More sort of biochemical threat. <laughs> oh, anyway. We better have a quick rundown of the top grossing films of 1986. Oof. As I say, we're linking Oof. to 1987. Right. Some massive films this year. Top grossing well, let's work from ten up to one then. So from the the tenth top up to the up to number one. Number ten is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. All oh, right, excellent. Otherwise known as Irritating Child Gets Away with It. Oh, I, I, <laughs> see, I do like that film though. That's a good film. Uh, it's worn off with me. <laughs> uh, number nine, Ruthless People. Never seen it. No, me either. So that's that silence spoke volumes. At number eight <laughs> is The Golden Child. Oh yeah. Is that Eddie Murphy? Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's one of his slightly lesser known ones. It's still pretty good, though. Yeah, it's a bit weird in some of his comedy stuff, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a bit more fantasy, isn't it, from what I yeah. remember? At number seven, we've got Aliens, sequel to Alien. Yeah. Great film. Yeah. At number six, we've got Back to School. Never seen it. No, it doesn't ring a bell. No, not for me either. Number five is Star Trek IV The Voyage Home. Is that a terrible one? Oh, no, that must be a good one if it's an odd <laughs> even one. Forget what yeah, the rule is. I can't remember. I've not seen uh, that in donkey's not, not years. Of, none of them are very good, to be fair. <laughs> you make some powerful enemies with those sorts of statements. <laughs> uh, t- number four, we've got The Karate Kid Part 2. Tremendous. Karate Harder. Number three, we've got Platoon, yeah. which I've still never seen, but yeah. it was such a legendary film when you were a kid because it was mm. supposedly so horrible and, and violent. Yeah, I've seen it. Not for a long, long time, though. And at number two, again for our Australian friends, Crocodile Dundee. Now, an abs- absolutely fantastic film, that. <laughs> yeah. They show it on television all the time, and I always watch it when it's on. Yeah, it's, it's sort of on a permanent loop, isn't it, on one of these channels? Yeah, and, and Crocodile Dundee too, as well. Yeah. I can't remember which one it is that has the little song in it. If I give my heart to you, I'd have none and you'd have two. Which what's, the concept, the, what's the concept, the context of that? I can't remember. He's just singing it to himself while he's having a bath. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, that's probably in one then when he's in New yeah. York. Yeah, I think it is. But the number one top grossing film of 1986 was about to have a sequel come out. It's Top Gun. Yeah, oh yeah, of course. Otherwise known as Some Planes. (laughs) And I want to mention a couple of uh, also rans. FX, Deadly Art of Illusion. Oh, what a brilliant... I didn't know that was 86. That didn't come up. I can't believe Short Circuit isn't in this top 10. I know, but it did come out in 1986. You're right. As did Flight of the Navigator. Oh, yeah, there's a movie. Labyrinth comes out in 86. Yeah. Police Academy 3. (laughs) 
getting <laughs> deep into the police academy canon by this point. Good lord. Yeah. FX, you see, FX, such a great film, that. It is. That's another one that's on quite a lot on Yeah, telly. it is. Always watch that as well. Yeah. But Brian I've seen Brown. like the first half of it about, <laughs> a lo- well, a lot more than I've seen the second half. <laughs> uh, Critters comes out in 1986 as well. Excellent. Which is a film I convinced my dad to let me get out of the video club once because I said it was just like Gremlins. It's it's a it's a bit harder than Gremlins, yeah. but very silly. And a film in Soviet Russia comes out called, translated obviously, Sentimental Journey to the Potato. <laughs> well, wonderful. Well, you know, these are the things that were on the minds of the Soviet public at the time, presumably. Definitely. Let's get round to our film and and album picks for 1986 and i will go straight away to mr morgan brown for his offerings okie doke film wise there was a lot of interesting stuff actually but um i think that the film i wanted to highlight was um the hitcher oh yes uh which i used to have on vhs uh sadly my tape bit the dust some years ago but um really really always enjoyed that um, a great deal. It's kind of a bit of a knockoff of Jewel, the old Steven Spielberg film, but uh, with the addition of Rutger Hauer at his absolute oh, best. Yes, I, there's a quite a terrifying moment in it, isn't there? I think Where most of it's pretty terrifying. It's yeah, proper stomach churning from yeah. very early on for about ninety minutes. It's um, it's it's a bumpy ride. It's but yeah, it, it's yeah, like a really good. duel mixed with serial killer, isn't it? Very much so. Yeah, um, but Rugger Howe is so intense in it. It's great. Oh, I'd totally forgotten about that film. Yeah, there's a really good bit in where he's like revealed on a back scene by a van or something, and he absolutely. Yeah. Bloody yeah, scares the living daylights out. So yeah. many horrible jolts in it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh. remade or rebooted terribly by Michael Bay um, some years later. What an idiot! But, uh, but the original Rugger Howard, Jennifer Jason Lee, tremendous. Ah, good choice, good choice. Um, and what have you gone for music-wise? Music-wise, I, well, I was torn between a couple of things, so I might just briefly say what the two things were I was torn between. Um, oh. I, I, I feel bad because we only started doing the music recommendations after a lot of classic years had gone by. So yeah. some of the people I would have wanted to recommend were probably past their best by the time we started <laughs> doing these. That I was considering recommending... Um, Definitely not their best album, but an enjoyable one. Um, Expletive Delighted by Fairport Convention, which is the the, <laughs> the sort of the first sort of solid album by the reunion lineup in the eighties. All instrumental, but really good. All oh, right, yes, I've not heard um, anything. A couple of that. guest spots as well with Richard Thompson and Jerry Donahue popping back uh, as well. But uh, what I decided really I should go for with it being 1986, was, I, I think I've got the right year anyway, um, Scum by Napalm Death. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> Just because I, I feel like it's an album everyone should hear at least once, even if they then turn it off and never, ever listen to anything like that again, or indeed never listen to any music again. It's um, <laughs> it's still pretty astonishing listen today. Effectively two different bands, because everyone left apart from the drummer um, after they recorded side one. But both sides are absolutely astonishing. Yeah, great stuff. Is it a fairly visceral performance? 
It really is. I, I think that there was a sticker on it when it originally came out describing it as the fastest LP ever made, which it possibly was at the time. It's just the most obnoxious bits of hardcore punk and kind of underground extreme heavy metal combined and recorded badly in a horrible eight track studio in Birmingham <laughs> by some obnoxious teenagers. And it's, it's great. Yeah. Well, there's a, a recommendation <laughs> for everyone to, to dig into for some easy listening. Oh, uh, Steve, what are your picks? Well, yeah, the, 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 um, the music one was a bit, bit challenging really, because there's, there's quite a lot of like fairly all right stuff by bands I like, but I must admit there was nothing jumping out at me thinking, oh, that's an absolute corker. I, I did notice, though, that um, Rain in Blood was released that year, as was Master of Puppets as well. Mm. Um, I don't like going for these uh, Metallica albums all the time because uh, it's not as though they're <laughs> am- amazingly favourite band, but might cheat on the films, actually, because Ooh, right. I'm going to jump to the films and a film that I've seen for the first time very recently, which is 1986, which I I thought was very good, uh, Manhunter. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is the uh, Silence of the Lamb, you know, uh, kind of predecessor to that. But yes. one of the best things about that film is the absolutely mad soundtrack uh, of like bands you've never heard, but like really weird kind of very eighties music, which is absolutely great. So I keep like just to listen to the music actually. So I think I'll go for the soundtrack of Manhunter. Okay, you can have that, yeah. And then I think my film might be Short Circuit ah, because yeah. what such a great film that is. Yes, Although I don't yes. think Crocodile Dundee would be fair off actually for pure lifetimes worth of enjoyment. Yeah, I'm going to go short circuit. Who doesn't like a robot that comes alive? And sees a lady in a bath and says, oh, Stephanie changed colour. Yeah, <laughs> and it's got Steve Guttenberg in. And he's got so many like actors of that kind of era. Uh, and who, who, who plays Stephanie? That's uh, uh, that's what's her name, isn't it, from uh, The Breakfast Club? It's Ali, Ali Sheedy, of course yeah, it is. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it's just ticking so many 80s boxes, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, it's excellent. And it, anyway. it does have a man doing an impression of an Indian man all the way through, but I must admit, I was in my late 30s before I twigged that he wasn't yeah, actually the, Indian. It never, ever, ever occurred to me. <laughs> yeah, the Fisher Stevens stuff, which is even more peculiar in the in the sequel film where he's more of a character in it uh yeah that's less said about that the better right my picks for 1986 we'll start with music and i have picked an album by xtc i knew you were gonna pick that xtc album when i saw it it's (laughs) skylarking by xtc just a phenomenal album of songwriting uh, of jangly in parts angular in other bits it's uh, oh jack it's it's really hard to explain why it's such a good album, but the songwriting on it is incredible, and it's got quite an interesting production history as well. Uh, and the, I mean, the story of the band XTC is is fascinating, but Skylarking is really one of the best albums I've ever heard in my life. So that's definitely my pick for 1986. In terms of movies, oh, you know what I'm going to say, don't you? <laughs> it's 1986. I never saw it in the cinema, but not long after i got the vhs to this day i have bought this film on about four or five different (laughs) formats i have watched it hundreds of times a couple this year at least 
It's the Transformers the movie. <laughs> it's simply my favourite film of all time. And it remains so. I've been through a lot of periods of my life where I've gone, well, I really did like Citizen Kane. That really was as good as they said it was. Or I do like uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey or Brazil. And I do, don't get me wrong. But for sheer the joy it brings me, the feeling of of it, it Transformers the movie is just head and shoulders above anything else and i will defend it to my dying breath in fact if i'm not watching it when i take my dying breath i'll have done something wrong (laughs) that's that's not an offer for people to come and do me in so there what do you think about that well uh, it was fairly inevitable i think yeah Uh, i was considering was considering picking the GoBots movie as 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 my film choice just to wind you up. Oh but, no, uh, Battle of the Rock Lords. <laughs> oh, it's dreadful. It, quite, oh. yeah. What were those things that turned into rocks that were like Transformers? The Rock Lords. They yeah. were from the they my, were spin-off from GoBots. Yeah, my mate had loads of them. They were great. <laughs> they were just rocks. <laughs> they just turned into rocks. Well, yeah, but. Anyway, if anyone wants to hear me talking about a spin-off from Rock Lords, which was a spin-off from GoBots, I was on a podcast called Looks Unfamiliar a little while ago, and I talk about that, so you should look that up, Tim Worthington's Looks Unfamiliar, to hear me raving about spin-offs of spin-offs of things I didn't even like in the first place. So there you go. Right, I reckon we've done 1986 now. We can actually just catch back up to 1987 next year properly when we do our main podcast about the next book in the series, book number 40 which is tricks and so until we get round to that uh, fun packed event i'm gonna say au revoir steve-o i'm gonna say goodbye and morgan uh, and i'm just gonna stick with fairly well good one ta-ra